Welcome to Global Truth Center. Did you get the title of that song, by the way? You get to. You all get to create what any, any kind of life you want to get. Do you all know that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. Steve, do you know that? <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, I would not say sometimes. I think you get to at all times, you just succeed sometimes. And you know why you succeed sometimes? Why do you think you succeed only sometimes? Because you're not always willing to receive. That's one reason. Why else? Because you haven't created the mental equivalent for it. Come on, students. Because you think there's something better. So you're so busy thinking about something better, you don't even deal with what you actually do want. Anybody? Your BS. Your BS, exactly. Who said that? Okay. Your BS, right. Your belief system. And your other BS, too, by the way, which is actually still your belief system, so... There you go. So I'm going to go to some of her lyrics here. You ready? First, the whole beginning is like so quantum in, in understanding. Like, I'm like doing balance today for some reason. Get out of, go out of your body, out of this space, go out of the atmosphere, out of the galaxy, go out of this universe, and when you're there, take a look backward, Right? So first of all, just let's look at those. Get out of your body, space, get out of the atmosphere, the galaxy, get out of the universe. When was the last time you did that? This morning. (laughs) Who said that? This morning. Well, of course you did, Reverend Andrea, because that's your spiritual practice. But that's what we all need to be doing, finding a way to allow our hearts, our minds to disengage and just be. That's what we do it every morning in Spirit Breath. We just step out of this, right, Gayla? We step out of this world and into something so much more expansive, so much bigger than what we're really thinking about. And yet, she says, once you do all of that, now look back and tell me how important the things in your life really are. I mean, that's the thing. When you really go there, you turn around and you look back and you're like, oh my God, that was so silly. And I was literally having a migraine over it. How many of you still have migraines over things in the relative world? Just me, huh? Me and Hannah. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, and they're equivalent. Not migraines. Headaches. How many of you still have headaches over what's going on? Back spasms. Back spasms. Okay. Okay, I'm not going there. So take a look backwards. And then she says, away from reality, it's all just and energy. It's all just energy. You know, when you come into this type of philosophy and you start hearing, when you start with Ernest Holmes and you hear Ernest Holmes says, God is the thing itself. I remember the first, do y'all remember the first time you heard that? I remember the first time I heard it, all I thought of was Adam's family. (laughs) It. I thought, God is it. I was like, perfect. And then you have to start trying to understand, well, what is God? 
And all of a sudden, God gets this complete makeover, and you're like, I don't know who we're talking about now, until we finally end up saying, wait, God's in the mirror. Oh, it's just what Jesus said. I and the Father are one. There's just one thing. And then you come scientifically at it, and you get this quote from Joe Dispenza. Or this quote. There you go. The only way we can change our lives is to change our energy, to change the electromagnetic field we are constantly broadcasting. In other words, to change our state of being, we have to change how we think and how we feel. It's why I asked you earlier today, where do you feel that? We have got to, got to, got to get out of our heads with this teaching. Anybody? We have got to start feeling it. We must feel it. Ernest Holmes said years ago, like almost 100 years ago now, Ernest Holmes said, frankly, if you are going to demonstrate, and why Margaret said sometimes, is you must have the feeling for it. Feeling is what activates your dreams. Feeling is what activates all of your aspirations, all of your desires. And what does that mean, feeling? Well, it means that you are an energetic field and you vibrate I love how he says here, you're constantly broadcasting. You are vibrating this energy in such a way that everything around you responds to how you are vibrating. So the question becomes, at what level are you vibrating? At what level are you broadcasting what you want? So she says here at one, side, one point in the song, she says, you're more powerful than circumstance. It's an incredible lyric, Margaret. It's a daring lyric because many people are very much attached to their circumstances. Many people, and maybe some of us even in this room, are attached to who we think we are, who we think, what we think we can and cannot have, what we believe about ourselves in terms of our abilities, our talents. But she says we're more powerful than circumstance. How do we rise above the circumstances of our lives into a place where we are free to create whatever life we want. How do we do that? Well, it brings me to my talk title. My talk title today is The Tree in the Rock. Here's why my talk title is The Tree in the Rock. Because one of the visits we took um, to in Kauai was to a place called the Allerton Gardens of Kauai. And it's this beautiful garden where you take the, it's just, it's just massive and it's absolutely breathtaking. And wh what I also found humorous was the, the tour guide was explaining about the father and son who had built this garden and had come to Kauai and built this amazing garden and lived there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there thinking, it sounds interesting the way he's telling this story. There's something missing. And I'm like, something's missing in this story of this father and son that moved to Kauai and bought this gigantic acreage and then created one of the most gorgeous gardens ever. I thought, someone gay had to be involved <laughs> for this to have happened. And so, as he's telling me the story of the father and the son, I was like, oh, did, did he have any other children? And the guy said, no, actually he adopted this son. I was like, getting better. Okay, so I said, so what was their age difference? He says, well, actually, he adopted him when he was like 30. I was like, okay. 
did he have any other children? Was he married? He says, no, they never married. Neither one ever married. And I'm just, <laughs> so then I Google it. And of course, it was two men who fell in love, and in those days, you couldn't get married or even say you were in love. So the older gentleman adopted the relatively, like, 10 years younger gentleman, because you were allowed to in those days. And they lived happily ever after his father and son, and no one questioned it, until I came along. And I brought it up to the bus driver, and he went, oh my, I've never even thought about that. I said, yeah, you might want to redo your talk to everybody about <laughs> who actually developed these gardens. So once my renegade moment was over, I went into the gardens, and it was just spectacular. But <laughs> all of us ran across this one tree, and it was this tree that grew out of a rock. Not like that picture. In fact, I have the picture for you, but not yet, Thor. Um, we were all so taken by it. I saw it, fir I saw it first. Everybody was, the guide was talking, and I just drifted away, and I was like, what is this? How did this get here? How did it grow here? And it was a little sign telling you how it got there. And um, then Reverend Jonathan came over, then Reverend Rita and Patrick came over, then Dr. Laura came over, and we all agreed to give the talk today um, about the tree in the rock. So I'm giving it here. Reverend Jonathan's giving it at Unity of, Unity of Arizona. Reverend Rita and Reverend Patrick are giving this talk in Kauai. And Dr. Laura will give it next week when she gets back in Palm Desert. Totally different talks. I have no idea what they're going to talk about. But the tree and the rock. So we came upon this tree, and here's the picture of it. Can you see it? Hard to see. There's the second one. So take a look at the rock there. Now, it looks like it's not really growing out of that rock but it is growing specifically. Go to the next one, Thor. I think the next one's even a little better. So that is a giant boulder that some seed happened upon and didn't care what the circumstances were and said, I'm here to grow. I'm here to blossom. I'm here to just show my magnificence. And it did. And it just keeps growing. And there's no nowhere for that tree to go other than up and down. So that it, while it grew up out of the middle of the rock, its roots came down the side, around the rock, and into the earth. And then the rest of the roots go through the rock where it broke the rock and brought it down into the ground. If we need any more image for empowerment, I don't know what that is. The universe, the energy of the universe has the power to grow anywhere, no matter what. And you know what that means? So do you. You get to. You get to put your imprint on anything you choose to put your imprint on. So whatever excuses you think you have or that you may have, I think it's really important to ask yourself, where's your boulder? Where's your boulder? What is it in your life that looks like it's something you couldn't possibly get over? Or something you couldn't possibly move through and still be you? What's your boulder? What's standing in your way? What shows up and says, don't do it here. You, you're not welcome here. What in your life still shows up? For some of us, it's our past. We bring up the past, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I, oh, God, I can't do it. Look, I never could do it before. For some people, your past is your biggest boulder. And yet, even when the past comes racing up, 
There's something bigger than it, as Margaret Song says. There's something in you. There's an energized field of pure creativity in you that is ready to say, no, I'm going to grow here no matter what. No matter what, I will grow here. I will thrive here in whatever body, at whatever age, in whatever industry. I mean, how many times do you think I heard as a young man, young boy really, in Philadelphia, you shouldn't go to New York. You don't have what it takes. How many times do you think I heard that? Never. No, I heard it a lot. <laughs> I did. I heard my, my own father saying, it's, they're going to eat you up, swallow you up, and spit you out. You just don't have that kind of personality. You know what it takes to, to, to start a Broadway show? Luckily, short time later, I could tell him exactly what it took to start a Broadway show. But I could have let that be my boulder. I could have let everyone's yeah buts stop me. I could have let an industry tell me this is not going to work for you. So where's your boulder? Where are you still letting this world, this relative world of facts? I mean, Margaret, at, 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 at this point in her life, has decided to go back to college. She is one of the undergrads at UCLA, right? She's now at UCLA. I mean, most of your classmates are what? 20. Right, and you're only 30-something. Wow. <laughs> 55. Are you 55? In November, she will be double nickels. Five, five. So, but here's someone who's clearly not letting any rocks stand in her way. She has no boulders, right? <laughs> After today. Good. After today. So, I really want you to ask yourself, where is your boulder? What makes you think it's impossible? Too difficult. Circumstances are too hard. It's been done too many times. I'm, I'm not the right one to do it. So this next quote by Joe Dispenza, all the adversity in our life is to initiate us into greatness. I want to just hear that. I'm totally good with that, just so you know. All of the adversity in our life is to initiate us into greatness. It's to call out something greater in us. What if every time something came up, you had an issue? You instantly went to, this is my greatness, asking me to look at it, as opposed to, this is going to take me down. It's funny, as I hear Serena crying, I remember going into the Los Angeles Church of Religious Science <clears throat> with Nora and Will on my hips, walking down the aisle. <laughs> Dr. Walker saying, they're not going to be in the sanctuary, are they? Because he was scared to death of babies. I said, no, they're going up to daycare. I said, unless they don't do well up there, because if they start screaming, I'm going to have to bring them down and calm them down. He goes, well, sit in the back. We don't feel that way. But it did remind me of that. And I know that I also then took Nora and Will through 1920, they're now 22. Yes, they are. Um, that they just keep growing in this teaching. 
And I'd like to know, and I think one of the reasons why my son has done so well in the midst of probably the worst calamity he could have envisioned for his life, all the adversity in our life is to initiate us into our greatness. My son wrote a screenplay that in the Austin Screen Festival, whatever, and Eric, you don't know this yet, but he, uh, it was a few thousand entries and got down to a thousand, he was in the thousand, then it got down to a hundred and he was in the hundred and he was so excited. And he was saying to me, he's like, Dad, what is it about it? When, when you get closer, the, the carrot just gets so big and big and big. I was like, and the, our only job is to not deal with the carrot, no matter what. Just let the carrot do what it does. You just focus on what you're doing. Good, and I want him to do that because I never could. <laughs> I can now. And so he called me yesterday in Kauai or the day before, and he said, you're not going to believe this. He said, you know how I told you I got down to the 50? I said, yeah. He said, I just got into the top 10. <laughs> and I said, oh my God, that's, that's amazing. He goes, you have no idea. And then he told me the panel that was going to look at those top 10 screenplays. These amazing writers that I have such respect for, um, television writers, film writers, there's like 20 of them, that will pick the top five. And he will already has agents calling him, not calling him, but writing to the, to the saying, we'd like to know who wrote this screenplay. So I'm watching this greatness in him, but I'm also watching all the adversity he's gone through turn into his greatness. And not only that, to be writing about it and then to have such a response from the world. That's what we have the capability of. Turning any boulder, any rock that shows up into your life into the greatness that you can become growing right out of it. That tree, that little plant there, that is growing right out of that cement crack. It doesn't care. It just doesn't care. We have to care less about all of the adversity, all the things we're being told somehow is stopping us. So, empowerment. You can look at it two ways, and I started to say this with Reverend Karen. You know, don't let something outside of you empower you, be the only way you're empowered. I mean, you have to empower yourself. You have to be willing to say, I am. Two of the most powerful words in the world, I am and then do, from the am. I am, and therefore I get to do what is mine to do. Don't wait for the world to tell you, because half the world's gonna tell you you can't. It's just the way it goes. And half the world, are gonna, world is gonna tell you you can't, because they couldn't. You know, I, I, I remember going to college, I remember going to college, I remember going to college back in the 1970s, and I had two drama teachers, and they were not very good. I mean, they really weren't very good. They didn't have careers in the business. They just decided to teach drama, teach acting. And I remember that when I got this huge offer, I got an offer to go star in a show in New York to play Benjamin, young Benjamin Franklin. And I remember going to all my teachers, my psychology teacher, my religion teacher, my philosophy teacher, my, I was thinking pre-med then at the, for a brief second. I was in anatomic something. I don't know, I think I failed. And then I went to my acting teacher. Every one of my teachers said, absolutely, go to New York, star in this show. You know, just write, a, we'll, we'll work out a curriculum that you can still do your work, except my acting teachers. 
Both of them. They were like, we have to fail you if you leave. I was like, I am leaving to go star in a show in New York. Isn't that my purpose? Isn't that where I'm aiming? And they were like, yeah, but you're not going to, what are you going to learn? We, we're the teachers here. I was like. <laughs> so um, finally, I just said, I'm leaving. You feel free to give me an F. Free, free, feel free to fail me. And I came back, did all my finals, and I, did, I, I didn't really fail the anatomy class. I think I got a very healthy D. Uh, <laughs> but I did go to my song and dance class. We used to call it Singy Dancy. And I got up on stage and sang, from this moment on, beautiful tenor voice. I did jetés all over the stage, dance. Most people could barely get up there, chew gum, and sing. And I did this whole thing, and I got a D because I hadn't been in class. And you know what? Honestly, that could have stopped me, but it didn't. It just pissed me off. <laughs> and I can tell you, I sent beautiful letters to both of those teachers when I starred on Broadway. <laughs> just to make them feel better about their choices. So the empowerment that we're talking about this month is not empowerment to have other people tell you how good you are. And if you need that, then there's something inside of you missing. There's some belief you have that needs to be reevaluated. Because if you need other people to tell you how good you are and you don't know it, you're never going to know it. It doesn't matter who tells you how good you are. It'll never be enough because it's got to come from in here. You have to empower yourself. And how do you do it? Quite simply, by remembering who you are. When you know who you are, how can you feel anything less than powerful? And so to close us off today, I want to give us a quote that most of us know, Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? To me, that's her greatest quote because it makes such great sense. I think we say we're afraid of not being good enough, but I do think we have an issue with being good enough with being great enough. I love the end of that. Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? I always think she's talking to me. <laughs> because I believe that. I believe I am all of those things and more. And that when I'm asked to play small, it feels uncomfortable. And when people think that my being who I am puts them in the shadows, I, I, I honestly have to say, you know what, I'm gonna get brighter here so you might wanna move. That's who we have to be. My job is not to hide. My job is to come out of the spiritual closet and say, I am. And as I am, I do. And my last quote today from Stephen King. You can, you should, and if you're brave enough to start, you will. Push that boulder right over the edge or jump up on top of it 
and shout to the world, here I am, I am ready to begin all over again. From right where I am, I am ready to grow. Namaste. Hi, this is Dr. James Mellon, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message and ask you for your support. Your tax-deductible donation to Global Truth Center ensures that we can continue to provide you with this form of inspiration each week. To make a contribution now, please visit our website at globaltruthcenter.org. Again, thanks for listening. Namaste.